Welcome to podcast. I am delighted and in fact, I am excited to share with you a message that is profound and powerful. I want to take time to explain some issues that I think are relevant to our lives and our situations in the greater world that we are living in today. It's a powerful message coming out of Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9 entitled, We Are Better Together. Listen to this. You're going to be blessed. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you're about to do, Lord. And God, I pray that no one in here leaves the same way that they came in. But God, I pray that we will all be forever changed. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. I want to start off by asking a question. How many of you have younger or older siblings? Let me see. Yo's hands. How many of you have older or younger siblings? I see those hands. I ask that because I am a younger sibling myself. I am a baby brother. And, uh, and at a young age, just like any baby brother, I felt called by God to do one thing, and that was to annoy my older sister. <laughs> I'm reminded of a story uh, when my sister came home from college. I was very young, and uh, she came home from college. And what happened was she, would, she was cleaning up the house. She was cleaning up the house. And uh, in an attempt to kind of annoy her, uh, I kind of, you know, dirtied up everything she just got done cleaning. For an example, she was cleaning the kitchen, therefore she was washing dishes. And so I thought it was a good idea to kind of uh, take the cups she just got done cleaning and put juice in them and walk away from them just to annoy her. And then she would clean off the countertops and things like that, and I would go in and make food and sit the food right on the countertop so all the crumbs and all the sauce could smear all over the kitchen. And I'll never forget, she yelled at me. She said, Arrington, clean this up now. And because I'm her little brother, you know, I do things to kind of get on her nerves, you know? I, I do things to push her buttons. And i never forget, I looked back at her. I said, Whitney, make me. Now let's pause. The moment I told my sister to make me is the moment things got dangerous for me. <laughs> you got to understand the women in my family are different. You know, they love God, but they're unique, you know. Um, I call the women in my family gospel gangsters. <laughs> Let me expound. A gospel gangster, they're the type of women or the type of people in general who they love God. You know, they speak in tongues. They'll sing, they'll lead worship. However, if you ever decide to disrespect them, you might get hurt. <laughs> but by the grace of God, my sister did not hurt me. Instead, she just body slammed me on the hard kitchen floor. I'll never forget, I was in tears, I was crying. It was a horrible situation. But a few hours later, my mom came home. And I'm the baby brother, so you know I got a tattletale. And I'll never forget, I went and told my mom what had happened. And any time there was some type of altercation in our house, any time me and my sister would fight or anything, she would say her famous line. And her famous line is, we are all that we have. Aries, stop picking on your sister. She is all you have. Aries, stop, or Whitney, stop talking to your brother that way. He is all you have. And at a young age, I had no idea what my, sis, what my mom was talking about. However, now that I'm a bit older, I've, I've started to realize that we did not always have a lot of money. 
nor did we have a lot of resources, but I believe my mom was putting a big emphasis on the fact that we had each other. And I believe my mother was teaching us that although our resources are limited, we are limitless in life as long as we have each other. I believe my mother was teaching me and my sister that can't nothing stop you, can't no circumstances hold you back as long as you have each other. I believe my mother was teaching us that we are better united. I believe my mother was teaching us that we are simply better together. And today I want to preach a sermon simply entitled, We Are Better Together. Could you touch a neighbor and say, we are better together? One more time, touch him and say, we are better together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. When you get it, say, I got it. No one said they got it, so I'm going to give y'all some more time. I heard that, all right. (laughs) Genesis 11, 1 through now. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make brick and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, which they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible. Please catch that. He said, if as one people speaking the same language which they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So basically what's going on is you got the people of Babylon and they are building a tower all the way to heaven. And the Bible is very clear that they all have one language. They all have one goal and that is to build this tower all the way to heaven. Building a tower all the way to heaven. Understand they're building something without boundaries. They're building something without limits. And all of a sudden, God comes down, and he notices the unity. And he says, if my people remain united, then nothing they do will be impossible. But the problem was, it was not time for them to go to heaven. So God allows division to take place. And the Bible says they are scattered all over the place, and they are no longer able to build the tower to heaven. I find it funny how when the people of Babel, when they were all united, when they were all together, what they were building had no limits. What they were building had no boundaries. They were actually going to build this tower to heaven. But as soon as the nation of Babylon became divided, along with division came limits. Along with division came boundaries. They could only go so far being divided. Why? Because we are always better 
together. When united, we succeed. But when we, we grow without limits, when we are united, we grow without boundaries when we are united. But when we are divided, what happens is, is we often fall. And we see this principle throughout history. Every time we see, uh, uh, we see some type of great kingdom or empire that ends, it ends because of division. I'm reminded of the Roman Empire. A Roman Empire, this Roman Empire was an extremely successful empire. However, they would fight each other and then feed each other to lions just to be entertained. Because of this division, there is no longer a Roman Empire. I'm reminded of the Persian Empire, one of the most successful empires in history. Anybody ever seen the movie 300? <laughs> a great movie. That movie is all about the Persian Empire and how they were all together and how they were successful. However, eventually, the people of Persia, they fought against the king. And because of that division, there is no longer a Persian Empire. Even when we look at Christian history, we see great movements and great revivals ending because of division. The Azusa Street Revival was, was a revival that took place around 1906. This was to understand that there were Jim Crow laws, very new at this time, but yet blacks and whites were able to come together. And guess what? Because of that unity, there was revival. I mean, real revival. Signs, wonders, and miracles. The lame were able to walk. The blind were able to see. People were being saved and filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. One of the great, greatest revivals of all time. However, the revival stopped because of division. Almost every great movement that ended, ended because of some type of division. Why is that? Because Jesus makes it very clear in Mark chapter 3. He says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And then David, the psalmist, says in Psalms 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. In other words, where there is unity, there are blessings. Why? Because there is always power in being unified. There's always power in being connected. I believe there's power in being connected. I believe there's power in being connected. I believe that God reveals many of his principles and many, many of his principles through people and through nature. Because when I begin to look at a baby in their mother's womb, he or she is attached to an umbilical cord. He is connected to an umbilical cord. And through that connection called the umbilical cord, that baby gets all of their nutrients. That baby gets all of their life. However, if that connection is somehow severed, that baby could lose his life. Why? Because there's power in being connected. There's power in being connected. I was recently reading an article, and it said that over 70% of young adults leave their Christian faith when they first go to college. And I asked myself, why is that? And I believe, because from my experience, I believe what happens is, is a lot of times when young adults go to college, they get connected to all the fun groups on campus, they get connected to all the extracurricular activities. However, what happens is a lot of young adults fail to get connected to the people of God. And when they fail to remain unified and connected to the church, what happens is, is we die spiritually. It's just like if I was to cut off my finger from my body. 
that finger that I cut off from my body would no longer be good for anything. Instead, it would be worthless. Why? And it would die simply because it's been disconnected from the body. There's power in being connected. There's power in being unified. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. In other words, the Bible is saying, do not forget to come to church. Do not forget to remain connected to the church. Do not forget to come together with the people of God. And then the writer says, you ought to come together more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the return of Jesus Christ. So the closer we get to the rapture, <laughs> the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more we should be coming together and cherishing our relationships with each other. Because there's power in being connected. I never forget, I, um, I went to this school, this middle school called Woodrow Wilson Middle School, Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, in that middle school, I had a group of friends. And I'll tell you what, we did everything together. We were like a like a boy band or something, you know? We, 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 we played music together, we, we played sports together, we did everything together. We got in trouble together, we did all of the above. I'll never forget there, in our middle school, there was this bully. Now the thing about this bully, he wasn't a regular bully, but he was a bully that was held back about two or three times. And because of this, he was a lot stronger, taller, and bigger than everybody. Therefore, he was able to beat up everyone he wanted to bully. And one day, he decided to pick on my good friend, Jamar. It was a bad situation, y'all. He began to pick on my friend, Jamar, and he threatened him. He said, you know what, Jamar? Meet me after school at 3 o'clock. We gonna fight. Now, Brandon the bully, this, this bully, you know, he's older and bigger than everybody. And so I assumed that he thought that he could just beat up my friend, Jamar. And it would be an easy fight simply because he could beat up anybody else in the school. However, the bully was unaware of the secret um, pact that we had. We had like an like a unspoken rule, and that unspoken rule was um, if you fight one of us, you got to fight all of us. <laughs> if you have threatened one of us, that means you've threatened all of us. And i never forget, it's a true story, uh, uh, Brandon, he shows up to the fight alone. He shows up to the fight alone, and, and my friend Jamar, he shows up with like nine of us, with nine of us, and we ready to fight this big joke. And long story short is that man, Brandon the Bully, did not want it <laughs> because he wasn't connected to anybody. And because Jamar was connected to people, he was able to get the victory. However, I am curious. I, I wonder what would happen if the church, if, if this church, if the church of Jesus Christ just adopted the principle that I learned at Woodrow Wilson Middle School, that if the devil or the enemy attacks one of us, he, he's got to deal with us all. I wonder what would happen if, 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 if the church adopted this principle. I wonder what would happen if the devil attacked one of us with cancer. Guess what? That devil should have to fight off a hundred other prayers and a hundred other Christians who are rebuking the plan of the enemy and encouraging their brother or sister at the same time. Because if the devil fights one of us, he ought to have to deal with us all. 
That's how unified the body of Christ should be. That's how connected that we should love each other in that way. We should feel each other's pain. Touch your neighbor one time and say, neighbor, you don't got to fight alone. One more time, say, you don't got to fight alone. Ecclesiastics 4, 9 through 12 says, it's better to have a partner than to go alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other one helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in bed, warm each other alone, you shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected, but with a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. You don't have to fight alone. Why? Because there's power in being connected. There's power in being unified. We are simply better together. You know, my question today for Victory Tabernacle is, how do we create unity? In a world where we are divided by class, skin, and race, how do we create unity? In America, where we are clearly divided, how do we create unity? I believe I have three points really quick. I believe I have three points on how we can create unity. And I believe the first one is by creating dialogue with those who are not like you. Creating dialogue with people who are not like you. I have a friend named Philip. Where's Philip? Philip, could you stand? He didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> Everybody say hi to Philip. Thank you, thank you. Me and Philip, Philip is one of my closest friends in the entire world, y'all. But what's crazy is we don't have a lot in common. You can sit down, man. <laughs> we don't have a lot in common. We like different music. We like different type of clothes. We like different type of food. We grew up differently. We grew up in different type of neighborhoods. We think differently. And often people ask, how is it that you two are so close? And I would answer that question by saying, it simply started with the conversation. I I think honestly, in in America, the problem is, is what we do not understand, we often avoid. And so instead of having those conversations, we avoid it. And I believe that's the cause of a lot of the prejudice and the division that's taking place in America. So how do we create unity? By first creating dialogue with those who are not like you. Absolutely. So, so through me and Philip's conversation, through our dialogue, we realized a few things. We realized we can't live this Christian life without each other. We realized we need each other's accountability. And then we realized we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without each other. Why? Because a divided church cannot heal a broken nation. So how do we create unity? By first creating dialogue with those who are not like you. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you fail to, to create dialogue with those who are not like you, I'm so sorry, but you might be part of the problem. So how do we create unity? We need to start creating dialogue with all different types of people. That's how we create unity. My second point on how we create unity is by stop defining ourselves in each other by the flesh. Stop defining yourself and stop defining your neighbor by the flesh. You know, um, the first century church, or the f- church we read about in the book of Acts, they had, they had a little bit of racial issues, basically. 
What was going on is that the Jewish people, they did not like fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles didn't always like fellowshipping with the Jews. Sounds very familiar. And so the Jews did not feel like fellowshipping with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles did not like fellowshipping with the Jews. In response to this situation, Paul writes one of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. I love it. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let me reread that. From now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, do not define your brother by Jew. Don't define your brother by Greek. Don't define your, your brother by Gentile. Do not define your brother by white. Do not define your brother by black. In fact, don't even define yourself by that. But you should define yourself and others by the blood of Jesus. We are defined by the creator, not creation. And so how do we create, how do we create unity? We got to define each other and our neighbors by the blood of Jesus and by the creator who is Jesus Christ. Don't define Don't allow yourself to be defined by your culture. And do not allow yourself to be defined by someone else's culture, but be defined by Jesus Christ. My third and last way uh, is how, on how to create unity is love. Simply love. You know, what I find interesting about the Tower of Babel that we read about in Genesis 11 is the, my favorite part of the story is the fact that God came down to talk to the people of Babel. God left heaven to talk to the people of ba- Babel? I believe, I, I like that because I believe it's a foreshadow of what Christ did for me and you. Because you got to understand, over 2,000 years ago, love left its perfect throne to walk on these sinful, dirty streets, to create dialogue with those who are not like him. And then, guess what? He was thrown on a cross. He lived a perfect life. He was thrown on the cross. He was beaten for our sins. Love did that. Love was beat. He was spit on. He was mocked. In fact, historians say if one was to be beat the way Christ was beat, their internal organs would be showing and bleeding. But Christ, he, he got up on the third day just so he can be unified with mankind. How do we create unity? We cannot create it without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 